Well, welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. It is holy God chucking it down outside. Is it the wettest November on record? Surely, surely it must be. So for those of you listening uh, in any other part of the world and questioning why I always nearly start with an observation about the weather, it's because um, I'm stereotypically uh, British. That's all we have, you see. We've got Brexit and we've got rain and some wind. That's all we have. Uh, also, I think you'll notice that my voice is slightly croaky today. And, and that's because I did quite an embarrassing thing. I was on the Peloton. That is a, it's an exercise bike. It stopped working. The, the screen stopped working. But I could still, you know, work the um, controls that change the strength at which you are pushing. And I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to chalk. I'm going to work out to some quo. Status quo, the band from, yeah, that's it. The band from the 70s, 80s, 90s, it's still going. But anyway, it was possibly one of the best workouts I've ever had in my life. To the point where um, I was in uh, Down Down. I was working out to the song Down Down. And uh, I just got to the climax of the song and just screamed at the top of my voice and then I thought holy shit I've just scared the entire neighborhood you know someone's being murdered to status quo which is a pretty bad way to go some some people would say so I then let out a more sort of yay in a higher tone and have completely buggered my voice well not completely I'm still whinging to you so yeah, that's a state of play for me at the moment. How's your week been? I'm 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 guessing it's been pretty weird and horrible and shit. Or, you know, you you've put a brave face on. You've you've pushed through all the the, the the crap and you've managed to sort of shine a positive light on it. In which case, well done. You know, well done you, eh? Here's a here's a little medal. Here's a well done you medal. Okay, you've deserved it. If, on the other hand, you're a bit like me and you found it an almighty struggle, then uh, here's a medal for you. Here's the struggle medal, okay? Don't worry, it's going to get better. Santa Claus is coming. I uh, saw him uh, in my dreams uh, loading up his sleigh because that's where Santa Claus exists, you see, in your dreams. So uh, there you go. Uh, I'm not mad. Oh, God almighty, that did sound mad, isn't it? I mean... It did sound a little bit like I believe that Santa Claus does exist in your dreams, when in actual fact he, he uh, is in, really lives in the North Pole. Uh, so there you go. Um, so anyway, uh, this this week's show is with with Sean Conway. Sean is um, a doer. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Holy shit! Google that mother trucker if you can. If you do do it now, pause the show and just Google Sean Conway. I mean, just just for one example, he thought it'd be a good idea to swim from Land's End to John O'Groats. Swim from Land's End to John O'Groats. That's in open sea. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So he did that and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it truly is remarkable. That's Arlo's tail, by the way. I don't know why he's wagging it. He seems very excited about something. Enjoy. Look, you're going to enjoy this. He's, he's a remarkable guy. He, he's, uh, he's he's so positive. He's got a great story. Um, some of the ups and downs were, you know, and, and, and the journey he took to come over here, like his, um, 
decision to become a in inverted commas an adventurer and it, it, it is on it's pretty cool man like it really works and i think we try and bear down it's like i try and drill down into the essence of what we can all achieve as um, human beings, we put our minds to it. And it's it's not about swimming from Lanza into John O'Groats. For everybody, it's a different thing, isn't it? It's always a different set of hurdles, all different set of challenges we put to ourselves to try and, you know, it, improve upon our, our current situation. And I'm always going on about that, aren't I, with, with creativity, like either writing something or what have you. Or even just getting on a bloody exercise bike, whatever. It doesn't. It doesn't even have to be physical, but it's just a really good conversation. This, I think, you'll get a lot from it. And uh, I mean, I'm always saying that because I do think that's kind of like my aim: to get try and get something out of everything in life. Otherwise, what's the what's the ruddy point? Anyway, uh, look after yourselves. Enjoy this conversation. As always, if you do feel like a little bit of a change of pace and a bit of entertainment, then check out my short film. How do you do that? Some days are diamonds.co.uk. Some days are diamonds.co.uk. And uh, you can see it, the name. That's the name of the film. It's short, it's 20 minutes. You can watch it and check it out and have a little dose of something different. Okay, I'll see you on Twitter, at Limehouse Pod. And I'll see you on Instagram. Limehouse Podcast, obviously. Um, yeah. Look after yourselves, stay in touch with your good self, good side of yourself, stay positive as, as best you can. Sayonara, good lord, rocking all over the ruddy bloody world. Doing. Yeah, good. Thanks, man. How, can you hear me all right there? I can hear you perfectly well, my friend. Perfectly well. Good man. Oh, good man. Man alive. I've um, I've started this mad peloton thing. Um, I'm determined <laughs> to lose some fucking weight. I'm just sick of it, and I am plowing my life into this peloton. And and I've got a wife, got a kid. You know. <laughs> I, I shouldn't, I'm knackered all the time. I'm doing this podcast, but I'm like, I'm determined. And like, yeah. I just, oh man, I left everything on the floor, man, as this, as the saying goes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm ruined, but I still, I've been doing it for a month. I've still got the fucking stomach. I'm like, the fuck is going on, you know? Too many carbs, mate. <laughs> <sighs> too many, fuck you. Too many fuck shit you. carbs. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, asshole. I'm going to fucking stuff those carbs up my ass. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. hi. Um, wrong meeting. Um, how how are you doing, man? How's your day been? Uh, what have I done today? Uh, I'm hosting a charity event in December, um, a virtual one. So today I was doing some interviews for that um, on, on Zoom, which was quite cool. Um, that's about it for today, maybe. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. How, how's um? I mean, like this is um, this is a cup of tea not beer okay <laughs> but you will no notice it's it's an adnams cup so oh, nice. top top fucking ale yeah. um yeah like it's a bit of a broad question because when i say how's lockdown been that's essentially like how has the past like what seven months been oh, for yeah, your life? How's 2020 been yeah <laughs> right exactly i mean 
I can't I can't really imagine how it's been for you guys because I spoke to a couple of um I would say I just I'll just use the word adventurer because it's yeah. just easier. Um but that that was probably about three or four months ago and and they were based they were it was like talking to a caged animal um to this one guy and how how has it affected you do you feel like a caged animal you don't look like one by the way yeah i mean (laughs) i i am starting to a little bit um but i've actually been quite lucky to be honest i Hmm. i had written this year off anyway because i was meant to be uh, doing a, a, a big record this year. Um, so I kind of written the year off anyway, so I didn't have anything else planned. So I was quite lucky, you know, everyone was like, oh, I've lost all my talk gigs and stuff. I didn't have any anyway, so it was kind of, mm. you know, that didn't bother me too much. Um, and I have a one-year, I had a one-year-old kid at the beginning of the year. He's now 16 months. Um, oh, congrats, man, congrats. Yeah, and... It's just been nice to be at home, you know, guilt, guilt free being at home, you know, because normally my, you know, me being at home means I'm not working. So there's always mm. you always feel a bit guilty. Um, yeah. So actually, it's been quite nice, to be honest. Um, yeah. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been able to focus quite a lot on your book. I've been following you on Instagram for about five months, maybe. I don't know. And um yeah, I see the occasional flash up of this awesome, like kids. Is it sort of older kids book? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Oh it's, man, um, the Chronicles of William Wilder, uh, yeah. Tempura's Treasure. I started writing it about two years ago, and actually, I I, I had no intention of really um, publishing it. Uh, William Wilder is the middle two names for my son. Um, so oh, I just wanted to sort of have a bit of fun and write a character for him, basically. Yeah. Um, so that he could read it later in life and go, oh, that was cool. Um, hey, and actually, I started, I started writing it before he was even born. So it was quite kind of cool. Um, yeah. And then it just sat on my computer for the last sort of year. And I was like, oh, should I put it out there? And I thought, why not? Because hey, I, I, <laughs> what I didn't want to be was just like another adventurer you know flogging a kid's book you know um and it just felt and that's what you are now so (laughs) yeah but like this is not really a kid's book like i've I've seen you know people go oh i've written a kid's book and you look at it it's like a thousand words if that you know yeah shorter and i kind of in my head i just didn't want to do just a quick like kids book now i know it it, anyone who's written a, a kids book even if it's a picture book will hate me right now because it is hard work and I know it's hard work but for me I wanted to write an actual mini novel basically I wanted to write a mini novel um, aimed at sort of well truthfully it's aimed at an age group of boys that don't read (laughs) I spoke to my publishers and I was like I want to write sort of a young adult you know book aimed at sort of nine, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old boys. And they sort of laughed at me. They said, Sean, uh, I've got news for you. Eight to 12 year old boys do not read. They're outside climbing trees and playing in the mud. Yeah. So we don't publish books for that. And I was like, well, if no one publishes books for that, that's why they're not reading. Come on. Like, you know, there's a little bit of a chicken and egg here. 
And they right. were like, yeah, but you know, I said, come on, just, you know, I, I'm adamant, let's, let's do it. And I told them the whole story. So I've got a three part series. It's one of three books. And eventually they're like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, I see what you mean, you know, but don't expect to sell millions. So like, I don't, I don't really care. Like for me, I've really got what I've got out of it by writing it. And I, yeah. it's a bit like, for me, it's a bit like buying a painting, you know, you buy the painting, you put it on your wall, and you just like to know that you own it and it's pretty and you look at it every now and then. And for me, I having love... this on the shelf yeah. is kind of the same thing, you know. Dude, I love the cover. I fucking love the cover. It's great. Yeah. And also, I like your ambition because like 10, yeah, like nine, between nine and 12 year old boys, man, I, was, I wasn't I was reading. But but I can tell you for a fact, I that's a fucking lie, actually, because I was and I wanted more. Ap- I had an appetite for it when I was that young, but there really wasn't much. Yeah. I remember I Am David by Anne Holm and uh which is about uh, a, a little boy who escapes a concentration camp and that that i, I must have been about little about 12 maybe 11 then um and that that blew my mind also like you know like kind of funny old um murders next door like i forgot what it's even called now but like they're they were like american teenage um murder stuff like kind of like dialed down scream yeah, and yeah, yeah. and um it was really cool and i'm really i'm really pleased that you're doing that and i love the artwork it's like it's really for those people that don't know it i would it's kind of is it a bit sort of 50s or 40s or something yeah or... it's a bit retro you know i i yeah. um i read a lot as a kid probably because i had to so in in africa you don't really have any other choice but to go to boarding school because you know, you live so far away, right? So I lived in the middle. My dad's a, a rhino and elephant conservationist. So I grew up in the middle of game reserves. Um, and so I was six hours from my nearest school that I could go to. So inevitably, all, most sort of schools in, in Africa um, are boarding schools. So, you know, if you've been to boarding school, you know, you have a lot of time in the afternoon when you don't have sport on. Um, so they just make you read. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, it was quite nice to be honest, because it was like, yeah. we had nothing else to do. You know, we're, I was, I mean, I call it boarding school, but that kind of paints a bad picture, especially in the UK. I went to boarding school. I, I went to boarding school and it was, it didn't feel, it felt like fucking army boot camp and I was like fucking mentally abused. So it wasn't <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't like when people go, oh, private school, you fucking like, you know, silver spoon up your ass. It's like, forget it. I'm a bit like yeah. you. I don't, you don't have any A-levels or you didn't go to uni, did you? So yeah. I like, yeah. I'm not, I didn't, I, I fucking left. I left with like two GCSEs and, f- f- you know, screw, screw education. <laughs> like that's my, that was my take after it. But it's so cool that you came out with like, that positive I don't know that well at least now you're able to like look back on kind of like and understand where some of your inspirations have come from yeah. but would it, would, it, would it be okay to talk about your dad a bit because Tony right your dad yeah 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 like there's super I mean just what you said there my dad was like a, a conservationist yeah. and like looks after freaking elephants and rhinos it's like oh, what what did you say just there you know what I'm saying like where like how old were you when you realized there are this isn't not necessarily normal because like it was normal to you i guess but like there are elephants on my my backyard and they're yeah. like, you know drinking from my swimming pool or whatever you know yeah that's true man um i as soon as i went to school i knew i was weird and i knew i lived in like <laughs> a very different upbringing even in, in 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 south africa 
where I grew up. I was born in Zimbabwe and then moved mm. to South Africa when I was a kid. Um, because as soon as I went to school, everyone was like, oh, wow, you live in a game reserve. Oh, wow, that's cool. You know, so that was, you know, that was it. But it took me a while to actually kind of get into school. I, I failed um, nursery, um, which we call preschool. Uh, How do you fail that? What, what do you do? Like so take you a shit do- in the class or something? <laughs> no. So the only thing you have to do at nursery is pretty much interact with other people uh, and other kids. And I was such a loner. I would literally just ignore all the other children. Even this is right up until sort of five years old. I just would be on by myself, playing by myself, not interacting with any other kids. And when I was meant to go to sort of, you know, school, uh, school, school, um, which is quite late in, in South Africa. You only go to school when you're sort of six or seven. Um, I, they were like, yeah, he's not ready. <laughs> I think I had one friend and he was the year below me. Um, yeah. So they were like, yeah, he needs to stay back a year. <laughs> so what, what was that all about? I mean, is you too young to remember it, right? Or can you remember a feeling of why you were like that? Or is that like just a, I, just, I don't know. No, I, I tell you what, I've, I've always been super comfortable by myself. I never get lonely, even now. Yeah. I genuinely... I, I like, can well believe it, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I honestly don't even know what the feeling is. It's like, I've got so much going on in my brain. Like, it's all, you know, sunshine and fairies and goblins and dragons. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's wonderful being in my head for me. It probably wouldn't be for other people. Um, but yeah, no, that's, Jen, not, that's, that's not today, right? You, are you thinking about goblins and dragons today? Always, I mean, always, yeah, yeah. always yeah, yeah. anything to get by. Yeah. I mean, I have a wild imagination and I'm super creative in my head. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, and I like to think I apply that creativity, you know, in a, in a good way sometimes, but, um, yeah, certainly I, I, I always have to fix something. I always have to make something or build something. It's just part of my well-being. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, Growing up, firstly, you know, when you live in a game reserve, there are no other kids around. So my sister's two and a half years younger than me. And, she's my baby sister, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, then I go to school and it was straight away, it was like, I got the nickname Bushman. You know, it's like, ah, oh, it's Bushman. And, you know, wow, Sean, do you really have elephants in your garden? And, you know, as a kid, you you know, you kind of play up to it. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. And yeah on, hol- yeah. on holidays, you know, they would, you know, I remember my friend PJ, uh, he was going to come over for the weekend. You know, he was from the town where my school was in and he was going to come over just for a, for a, a weekend and then, and then sort of this in the holidays and then sort of Sunday night came around <laughs> and he was like, do I have to go? So we sort of, <laughs> my mom phoned, you know, his parents and like, oh, can he stay for a few more days? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a few more days came. He's like, oh, can I stay a bit longer? I think he stayed for us for like two weeks or something. <laughs> oh my God. That, so, you yeah. know, so, cause it was, you know, it was nineties Africa, you know, we had two, uh, two hours of, le- no, yeah. Two hours of electricity in the morning and four hours of electricity in the evening so from six yeah. till eight in the morning and six till ten in the evening except on saturdays it was six till twelve and a couple of extra hours for my parents you know to yeah. watch telly or whatever um, so is that like then, a, is that like apartheid around that uh like in, in uh, zimbabwe then or am i just imagining that well i was in south africa um yeah oh it would have been in the rest yeah. of south africa but you know we yeah. were just in this game reserve bubble um where yeah. Apartheid 
like didn't exist in my world. I, I literally yeah. knew nothing of it. Um, mm. You know, we were, my dad's a game ranger. You know, we were surrounded by, you know, Africa and Zulus. And I spoke Zulu fluently as a kid. Um, no, that is and, a fucking, that's amazing. Yeah, well, you had to. Like, I lived in Zululand. It's like, you couldn't survive sure. without it. Um, yeah. Now you kind of can. Like most of the world, everyone's super keen mm. to learn learn English in third world have countries. You, so. Have you retained, have you retained any uh, Zulu? Uh, if they, if they talk really quickly, um, I, I don't really understand it. But um, yeah, if, if they sort of talk a bit slower, I can kind of get the gist of it. If I read it, I can probably read it a bit better than if I hear it. Um, but uh, it comes back quickly, I think. I've just lost the vocab for stuff, you know. I think if I did yeah. all I need to do is a month course, maybe. And it, it would all my Zulu is, my Zulu is shit, <laughs> I've got to say. My, my Zulu, it like basically begins and ends with like quotes from the film Zulu. Um, because uh, yeah you know <laughs> oh dear yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm a realistic so, bastard yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was great you know just growing up in Africa was a childhood that you know even now you could never replicate you know growing up in the especially in the 90s you know like you know all of us 90s kids well I'm an 80s kid but you know you're kind of your teenage years or in the 90s when yeah. nowadays it's it's mobile phones and the internet and you know we didn't have that at all um yeah which was good and bad you know there's huge positives of, of social media and the internet for example I... I used to be a photographer and yeah, yeah. had I had Instagram as a teenager when I got into photography uh and I'd followed all the National Geographic photographers I would have 100 percent followed that dream instead of getting waylaid and doing you know you don't know that sean you you don't know that no i I do it was it was harder to be be inspired yeah no that's that's it you had to go and look for inspiration in the 90s if you wanted something to pursue and in that case it was i mean i remember going into the the library and you know, getting the world of encyclopedia out or going to look at National Geographic magazines in the library, which were, you know, 10 years old already, you know, and, um, and, you know, so you had to physically go and look for it. It wasn't sort of, and I had no clue about how these travel photographers were making a living and actually the practicality of being a working photographer that pays your rent, you know, and and bills and mortgage, like, because there's, in the arts, you've got to, it's all fun and games being this amazing photographer that you've got to somehow also buy food. Um, yeah. And I think if I'd had social media, that that may have been a little bit more obvious, you know, and maybe would have yeah. Yeah, inspired me to take, no, of course. make different decisions. Well, no, I mean, it's, it is interesting that you say that. I, I get like this sense or a tone in your voice, maybe a delivery that you miss that. Like who doesn't fucking get nostalgic for their past? Like, let's face it. But yeah. like in a sense of like, do you miss the earth, the, the feeling, the the breeze of like, of, of that on your face, that, that game reserve, that environment? Do you, you know, is there a part of you that wrote that, has written this book, this recent book, uh, to like reconnect with that past, do you think at all? It's always there. I mean, Africa is in your blood. Um, yeah, of course I miss it. But being an adult in Africa, 
is very different to being a kid in Africa. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, I all, all, most of my family are still in Zimbabwe and or South Africa. Um, and it's tough, you know, mm. it's, it's tough. You know, everyone, all my family keep asking me, you know, every time I go back, oh, have you ever thought of moving back? Have you ever thought of moving back? Um, firstly, I look at my wife and she looks at me with terror. <laughs> my, my wife, my wife's a Welsh, Welsh lass. And um, she, uh, I've taken her back to South Africa a few times and she's just yeah. terrified. She's just like, there's too many creepy crawlies. There's too many animals that want to bite you. <laughs> you know, it's I'm, just like yeah. everything wants to kill you. So Right. Um, but no, so yeah, so I, I, I've no interest in moving back and living there and having to work in, in Africa, which is a shame. Um, but then, you know, Britain is amazing for, you can do whatever you want in Britain, mm. you know, like, for, you know, I used to be an ambassador for a watch brand that used to make watch parts from Spitfires that crashed in the war. <laughs> what wow. a business model, right? We're going to go and find wrecked spitfires melt the metal down and use bits of that for watch parts and i'm like is... how cool is that like you yeah. can do anything in britain you know you really can and that's what i love about about this island you know this yes there's a lot of rubbish on, online about you know negativity and you know we're all divided and all that but oh, mm. i don't see it man. i think people are genuinely really kind of want to look after each other and look out for each other um yeah it's, it sells more papers to say we're fighting right you know? I, yeah i mean i think if you take like um brexit and covid i think people want to look after each other during covid and brexit is just like the um vile undercurrent that is is there but is definitely been stirred up and uh i want i i just wanted to get away i i, I used to talk a lot of politics on this show and i wanted to move away from it because it was getting so boring um and it, and you know what you, you do like if you've done any traveling around the uk which i think i think you might have done a little yeah, bit I, don't, don't um, I think I, yeah. I did it once or twice <laughs> <laughs> you get you, you do you just like go i mean from like from the time when i was like walking up scarfell with my dad like age 12 and he broke his wrist uh when we, thankfully we were only like a few like maybe like half a mile in and you know the people that helped us out you know i know it's basic humanity but it's all whenever i've gone traveling around the uk on my own scotland in particular you just you do you just meet the loveliest people and as long you know and i mean that that was kind of before brexit but, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was scotland which is inherently yeah. slightly more left-wing but um yeah no i um i don't know you know sean i guess you're about literally about the first person i've ever spoken to where I don't actually know where to start because there's so much <laughs> and I I guess what is what interests me is like you weren't always like this like I don't know tree swinging like jumping from rocks kind of guy it kind of maybe you were but it didn't really in terms of like really going for it it wasn't maybe until what your late 20s 30s till it started happening like until you start doing stuff yeah until I sort of you know, you say I, I get classed as an adventurer, and mm. I, although I cringe inside, um, <laughs> I I get it. I get it. It's it, people understand it when you say he's an adventurer. For the most part, people go, "Oh, I kind of understand what you do." You go off and do challenges and come back and write books about it and, and blah blah blah. Mm. Whereas actually, I'm 
more specifically a an ultra endurance athlete but if you want to get even more specific i'm a non-professional ultra endurance athlete so I don't have a governing body. I don't have, you know, races that are really preset for me to enter and things like that. Right. Like if you happen to be an ultra marathon runner, um, and that sort of thing, or, or even ultra cycling is starting to get a little bit more mainstream. It'll take some time, but there's still organized mm -hmm. races now. There's no prize money yet, but you know, it's getting bigger and, and more popular. Um, so, you know, I, I, I basically an ultra athlete um and yeah i just found my i found my niche you know kind of in my 30s um and you know part of me is is grateful for the sort of the mess ups i made in my 20s because that has become fuel for the fire um and another part of me is really kind of annoyed or disappointed that i started my sporting career so late because you know, imagine how good I would be. I'm very competitive, you know, in my head, I'm like, imagine how good I would have been, even if I'd started in my mid twenties instead of when I was right. 30, you know, like, but then would I have burnt out by now? You know, would I have just lost passion? So. And who cares? It's like, you are where you are and you've, you've done so fucking much anyway. It's like, you know. Yeah. Who cares? But the terrier in me also goes, oh, how <laughs> I, I could have been this good, you know, and this I've got that little because I'm a monkey terrier and I enjoy being a monkey when I'm a monkey. Um, but if I'm a, if I'm a monkey all the time, I just get frustrated and yeah, uh, and I need to to become a terrier every now and then just to give me that focus. And if I'm right. but if I'm if I'm a terrier all the time, I just burn out because I blinkers on, you know. Everyone, everyone's everyone says, oh, it's all about the the journey you know you know mm. stop and smell the roses i'm like nah nah nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. yeah i am like get me to that finish line the quickest and if i can be the quickest in the world at that, that right that's be a lot so what was like the first uh challenge because i i know were you talking with a friend and basically he, you were bitching about like for not working for the National Geographic. It hasn't happened, and he was like, "Dude, you've never applied for any of these things. So what the fuck? What what made you know? Which made me giggle because it's like, so true. Yeah. I mean, I bitched and moaned for so many years about why I wasn't getting these National Geographic gigs, <laughs> and I think you know, but I get it. You know, it's sometimes you just you like to sort of by not actually applying for them was. Of reason, what gave me the sort of the, I'd never been rejected, so it, okay. the, the dream re remained a, a potential, like, like Marty it, McFly in uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, like, so I think I was, I was blissfully ignorant, floating along, knowing that, oh, you know, I'm not getting them because I haven't really applied. But then I would still right. moan about it. But that was fine yeah. because I knew in the back of my head. I haven't been rejected yet. So I could still one day be that way. Um, yeah. And then my mate just turned around and said, how many have you applied for? And I was like, uh, none. And then like weirdly having that conversation out loud just made me realize I was an idiot. Um, right. So yeah, so I packed in the, the photography. Um, I, I should add, instead of this National Geographic photographer that I wanted to be, I was a school portrait photographer. So... You know, oh okay right can a picture the more opposite end of the spectrum i guess funeral I, photography might be 
more yeah, opposite that... than National Geographic. But God, I'm yeah. so glad you didn't carry on doing that, Sean. Yeah, it's weird though. So, because I thought, and can I can I just add quickly, if <laughs> if if you move if you move too much in your chair, I'm picking it up. Was your chair or something? Okay. Or a keyboard or something. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It's high. It's so annoyingly hypersensitive. Zoom. It's so ridiculous. It, I spent it a can't fortune pick... on this captain's chair. I thought it'd make. <laughs> I thought it'd turn me into Hemingway. <laughs> Talking of Hemingway, for your listeners, this will mean nothing to them if, if they're just listening. That there oh, is is a yeah. rock. Is a rock from Hemingway's garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh my in, god! In Havana, in Cuba. Oh. Um, yeah, um, it may there have landed up in my pocket somehow. Um, These, there's the world, what there's like the novelist, the second world, the World War II correspondent, the <laughs> mega personality that is Ernest Hemingway. We have a rock, ladies and yeah, gentlemen, have a rock from his garden, which from they, his garden. It, it was in an area that was so obvious, like that you could nick one. They probably just fill it, top it up every week. <laughs> like yeah. uh, People like to steal something from Hemingway's God, so we'll just put this pile of rocks here. And then... <laughs> yeah. It's like something out of The Simpsons, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'd, 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 I'd like to think one day he went for a pee behind the tree. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you've got Hemingway's on, piss, on, anyway. yeah, yeah. piss on piss on Hemingway's yeah. rocks. Great. Anyway, so I've got this chair, which is now <laughs> making a noise, but anyway. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so where were we? Where were we? That's school a really photography. Good school yeah, yeah, photography. School, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just. I'm. So I'm glad that you didn't like. You know, yeah. you stuck. I mean, not two things up at it. Of course not. But you, you, uh, you decided to turn that very heavy leaf and and pursue like what is inherently kind of in you. Exactly, and that's exactly it. You know, I wasn't fulfilled. I was on autopilot. Every kid meant X amount of money to me. So if I photo more kids i'd earn more money it was just a you know a, a maths game in the end really um yeah. and a marketing game really rather than a creative game so yeah so then i i was 30 i tapped out you know you mentioned earlier i have no a levels have didn't go to university uh i'm i've got an irish passport and i'm 30 years old and i've never worked for anyone properly ever because i did photography from when i was a teenager yeah, okay. that is a tough place to be to look for employment. I can tell you that. So yeah, I thought, sure. well, I'm I'm not going to get a job. Let's be honest. So let me go traveling for a bit. And and I, genuinely, I thought if I go traveling, I'll fall in love with photography again and come back and then pursue the the sort of the creative travel photography scene and and journalistic travel stuff. Um, but I had no money. You know, you live in London. You the more you earned certainly i found all i did is buy more expensive versions of the stuff i had already um mm. and so i had about including sort of credit cards and savings and you know deposits i was going to get back on my flat that i rented um, i probably could survive another three or four months in london so i had so three or four months just sort of come up with some sort of game plan otherwise i'm back in with my mum in a one-bedroom flat in cheltenham um and so I looked at loads of things. I thought, right, well, let me, what if I sort of break a record in the world of travel? You know, maybe I'll get some sort of sponsorship because I'd seen, you know, like all these people like Mark Beaumont cycling around the world and yet sponsored logos, people who go to the poles and climb Everest. It just right. seemed like a thing. Like it was like, really? If you have a silly enough idea, 
a company will give you money to go and do it like it's that's awesome <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> like when you yeah. break it down it's amazing i mean it's a lot harder to get money from companies than i thought it would would be but anyway i thought the one thing i thought i was achievable at the time was the round the world cycling record which okay. was held by vin cox of 170 167 165 days i think it was uh And if you do that, it's only 120 miles a day, which like once you kind of get even remotely fit on a bike, that's quite doable, really, if yeah. you do the maths. Um, and I'd already cycled Land's Edge John O'Groats, even though I could only do 50 miles a day on that one. Um, I thought, well, I can double my mileage and some, surely. Um, and yeah, just trained really hard, managed to get the funding. And yeah, 2012 is when I set off for that. And that was... Yeah, that was sort of the beginning. What was that like from, did you set up from what, Cheltenham? From like literally? Uh, from Gret So it was part of a race, actually. It was a okay. the world's first ever round the world bike race inspired by Vin Cox, who had the record that we were trying okay. to beat. And he said... When when did Vin Cox do it? Sorry. 2010. Uh, okay, so a recent thing. Okay, yeah, in, my, in my little head, I was thinking like it's a Phileas Fogg type of thing. This guy yeah. did it in like, you know, like 1912 <laughs> or something. Well, no. So there was when Guinness kept changing the rules for the round the world bike record. It so back in the eighties, it was you had to do thirteen thousand miles, and you couldn't stop the clock. Uh, so Nick Sanders oh did it. God. So you, yeah. even if you got delayed at an airport, that was all part of the race time, which is a great rule. I think that was I think that was good. Anyway, Brilliant. they then changed the rules um, to increase the distance, which I think was better, 13,000, like how's that around the world? But anyway, so 18,000, they made it, but then you could clock, stop the clock at airports if you were flying or at ferry ports if you were taking a ferry, which was a terrible rule because it means, oh, and they said you could stop the clock for two weeks um, and that wouldn't count. So people could legitimately sort of blast across Europe have a two-week break, blast right. across Asia, have a two-week break, blast across Australia uh, and then America. And you could land up taking, you know, 300 days to do the whole thing, but only have a 200-day race time. Um, yeah. so, but anyway, I have to say, no one really did that. Most people stuck to the ethos of it. And then um, Mark Beaumont in 2008 kind of did, did the ride where – just captured loads of people's imagination including myself i just was like whoa there's a guy cycled around the whole world and he did it as a record and he got sponsored Amazing. to do it and he wrote a book about it and now he's on an advert for ee which was orange back <laughs> then mobile phones i was like whoa or timo or no it was orange yeah i was just like this is cool man wow yeah. um and yeah so his record was 100 and, and then yeah 200 days he did 198 i think um And then that just the floodgates opened, you know, I think there was three or four people it, you know, breaking it before Vin, Vin Cox did it in 2010 with another guy, Alan Bates, who also did it at the same time as Vin. Um, but anyway, Vin came back and said, like, my record was totally beatable. If anyone fancies doing it, how about this for an idea? Why don't you all start at the same place at the same time and make it a race? And, cool. and, and it was good for people like me because all of a sudden, if it was a race, it would attract sponsors because they knew they would get some publicity around the event as well. Yeah. Um, so I managed to get funding pretty much because of that, I think. 
Um, and then, yeah, that was 2012. Um, yeah, just started this new life pretty much. 18 Jesus, but, but it didn't like pan out as you wanted it to, did it? Didn't you, you get like reasonably early in or something into it and you got into an accident or? Yeah. Um, I'd done 4,000 miles in 20 odd days. Um, wow. And yeah, 25 days, I think I can't remember now, but, uh, yeah, done. I, it, Spain, Morocco, done Chile, Peru, and a bit of Ecuador, and then flew to America and was doing Miami up, doing a sort of an arc in America. And yeah, I, unfortunately I got run over uh, a week into my American leg. Um, and well, I don't actually remember anything, which has kind of been a blessing. I For kind sure, of went yeah. to bed the night before, woke up in hospital the following day. So I'd, I'd woken up that wow. morning. I'd, yeah, I'd gone for a bike ride. I'd ridden for a couple of hours and, yeah, got hit from behind. Um, oh so, God. yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, sure, yeah. And, you know, no hard feelings. The driver felt super guilty. He stopped. He called the ambulance. He admitted fault. His insurance paid for everything and blah, blah, yeah. blah, you know. So it was just one of those freak accidents. And, and to be fair, I, you know, if you had any sense in you or you knew the area, you would have never in a million years cycled on the road I was cycling on. Um, okay. But I'm just following a line on a map. You know, it's just, you I, don't know. I, yeah. I was legally allowed to cycle on that road, but it just happened to be terrible condition with no proper hard shoulder. And yeah. You know, so, um, and actually, the, the other thing that didn't work in my favor, and I have to say, I get a bit annoyed with cyclists sometimes. So you are legally to, allowed to cycle two abreast in the UK because you know if you if you're more in the middle of the road it means drivers aren't going to try and squeeze you off the road um mm. and that's what I was doing in, in that in this in America that's what I would do when I cycled around the world because I thought well if I'm in the road they're going to see me and they're not going to try and sort of squeeze me off by overtaking too close um the downside is if they don't see you you're in the middle of the road um and I always cringed so now you know I'm always on the edge of the road because, you know, if someone tries to push past me, at least I can wiggle through or, or that sort of thing. Or, yeah. But if someone doesn't see me, the worst that can happen is maybe they clip my elbow or something. So, um, yeah. And I think that's probably what happened. I was not in the middle of the road, but where your sort of inside tire is. Mm. Um, and he, he, the gentleman, what he admitted, he just didn't see me. He, he was running late for work. It was five, at six, five six in the morning. Okay, um, yeah. he'd probably never seen a cyclist on that road his entire life because you wouldn't cycle it. so yeah so it was just a bit, of, a bit of bad luck yeah but you you just got up and carried I mean not then obviously yeah a month you... a month later I carried on because God. did you have like was... a fractured spine and you carried on cycling yeah it was a compression fracture though so like right. it is a fracture oh oh is that all oh, okay <laughs> oh shit oh right okay i'll, I'll bear that, that in mind pa pa painkillers fix a compression fracture almost uh and oh, americans God. are quite good at giving me painkillers it still hurts oh. today like even sitting here like it still hurts and they say at some point my tooth um uh, spinal vertebrae. things, vertebrae will fuse yeah. together apparently one day later in life. But uh, yeah, it's and you know what? It, it, when I'm unfit, it really kicks in. So it's kind of a nice that and my cheese rolling shoulder from doing the Gloucester cheese rolling, 
when those two start hurting is when I realize I need to sort of go to the gym a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, my, my God. Oh, my goodness. So, like, after um, after you've done the, the cycle, I, I take it you completed the cycle, right? Kind of. I, I wasn't following the Guinness guidelines for the rules anymore, so I didn't do what, the you mean a, a month a month in hospital? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, fucked you up a bit, yeah. Yeah. But also, oh, I, I just – I had a new, new motivation, which is trying to – trying to get back to London in time for the Olympics because this is 2012 and some kids had made me a, a replica Olympic torch to take around the world. And I was like, oh man, I've got to carry on for them. So I changed my route a little bit. I was, I was behind schedule and I couldn't afford to keep postponing all my flights because um, I pre-booked all my flights to save some money. So I kind of mm. cut my American leg a bit short, did a slightly shorter route in Australia um and then yeah that was pretty much what i did so i, I there was two that was two thousand miles short of the eighteen thousand okay. in the end um so but yeah i carried on because you know well, so, up until a couple of years ago i would say who no one cycles around the world twice and then mark beaumont went and did it again so <laughs> <laughs> i don't say that anymore but that's how i felt i was like who who gets the opportunity to cycle around the world you know yeah this is I mean, my time it's... and you know so yeah. i just carried on with it it's it's a beautiful thing man it really is um you know primarily because it's cycling and not driving obviously driving around the world's a piece of piss depending, depending on how you do it obviously but like you know it's it's great on mother nature it's a beautiful and also a beautiful way to to take in um the world as well you know um i spoke with a guy called paul salapak a um uh he's he's basically walking walking like fucking 20,000 miles or something stupid um he's absolutely astonishing but he's like doing a slow form of journalism he's been like walking for like nine years now i think wow out of of ethiopia and uh, he's in uh burma now it's amazing but like that idea of just slowly taking your surroundings in it's yeah yeah, I, i absolutely love that but so what you came back to the uk and you were like Hey, you know what? No one's ever done before. Yeah. No one's ever never no one's ever swum from Land's End to John O'Groats before. I'm just gonna uh, fucking do that. Why yeah. not? Well, no, I didn't think of that initially at all. I, I was like so No, because you're not completely mad, but clearly <laughs> the madness did take hold. So yeah. No, well there was it was actually <laughs> it was actually not forced upon me that swim, but right. it was it was sort of a uh, a kind of a necessity. Because I moved back in with my mum in a one-bedroom flat in Cheltenham. You know, I was on the sofa bed, you know, in the living room. It was a tiny little living room, so small that when the sofa bed pulled out, it would hit the other wall of the living room, right? So, yeah, yeah. super tiny, basement flat, no windows. Um, And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I've had my fun. I've got to cycle around the world. It was amazing. It didn't go to plan. But let's just get back into the real world. Um, so I was like, right, well, I've done some cycling. I could apply for some jobs with, uh, you know, in bike shops, maybe. I didn't know anything about bike mechanics. I still don't, but I thought, well, I could do that. <laughs> there was a couple of sustainable transport, um, charities who try to get people into cycling to work and cycling to school. I applied for loads of jobs with them. Um, I, I was sort of looking back into photography things, but I really just, I had no camera and I really wasn't. determined yeah determined to keep keep moving forward yeah yeah so i was you know doing my two weekly job center interview you know chatting about you know what i'm going to do to get work and 
that was soul destroying. And after sort of six, seven, eight months, I just, I didn't even get an email saying, thank you for applying for the job, but you've not got it. Like genuinely every single job I applied for, I didn't even get a response. Right. Yeah. And you know, now I'm 31 or what, what, how old is I? 32. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm going, what, what am I like? My mom's going, why are you living with your mother? (laughs) Dude, I was living, I was living with my mum. I was living with my mum until I was 33. So, you know, on on and off, I must add on and off. I wasn't always just there, but yeah. Good. Yeah. So I think, you know, we were doing each other's heads and I was doing her head. And, um, yeah. And, and I, I just was like, well, the last time I thought of a silly idea, I managed to get funding for it. And that kind of took care of six months of my life. So let me just think of another thing that might take, you know, a few months and at least I'll be out of the house and at least I might get some money for food, right? Um, right. Just to survive on this planet and that sort of thing. And um, Dave Cornthwaite at the time was swimming down the Missouri. And I remember seeing his pictures and I thought, wow, that kind of looks cool. Like a swimming adventure, that could be cool. And I'd cycled Lands End to John O'Groats and I thought, ah, you know, what if I swam Lands End to John O'Groats, but what if I was the fastest person to do it, believing that it, it had been done? Like, I genuinely, like 3,000 yeah. people a year do Lands End to John O'Groats. Someone's hit a golf ball. Someone's pushed a bed and slept in the bed each night. You know, people have done it a million yeah. ways. And bigger swims have been done. You know, Martin Stroll swam the Amazon. And, um, you know, so big swims have been done. So I thought, well, maybe I could just be the fastest. So I was doing my research. And then actually, <laughs> I remember through certain, I forget his name, but it came up. Call him, we'll call him Ben. Ben swims, lands into John O'Groats in seven days. I was like, what? Seven? <laughs> what? How is that possible? Like the running record's nine days. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I did some research. Turns out this Ben chap um, had a swimming pool on the back of a van and oh, a flatbed right. and did yeah. lengths as they drove it. <laughs> so, yeah, it turns out Ben's a dolphin. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so it very quickly became a world's first, which immediately led me on to this overall kind of idea, uh, which is trying to get a world record in the three Fs of endurance, a world's first, a world's furthest, and a world's fastest. And that became sort of i remember as soon as that happened i was just super excited about life again i was just like right i'm gonna make this happen for whatever reason and you know and people were like yeah but what's the point of it i'm like well what's the point of kicking a bag of air around the field for 90 minutes like right what's the point of anything right Um, can i just can i just ask also because it doesn't seem to me like because what i like about you or the the way you're you're, i don't know you're telling this like you're unfolding your story is like how it doesn't necessarily feel like this was always your quest in your life. It just seems like it's just, it's not something that you go, right, this is what I'm going to do. This is like, this is absolutely, I know adventure, not adventure, but you know, I know that, yeah, adventure for, for fuck's sake, whatever is innately within you. I know to explore your, um, your endurance perhaps is in you, but it to be 32 and, and it, and not always been like a boyhood dream to do these things. It just seems really weird that you'd go. Uh, I mean, I've seen this guy swimming down the Amazon, and and the guy swimming down the Missouri River. I'm I'm gonna, 
I'm going to do it. I don't, where does, where does that come from, Sean? It's so weird. I mean, I've got a slight, like a kind of similar story, nothing to do, nowhere near anything what you did. But I, I ended up going to Thailand and, and volunteering with a, a dog sanctuary out of nowhere. Like I just saw a fucking advert on Facebook and, um, and then it just led me down this path for like the best part of like two years. Um, yeah. where, where did it come from? Like it's, I don't know. I know maybe we're, we're transgressing a bit, but. No, it's, it's, I, it's taken me a while to retrospectively look back, which is, also in itself dangerous because it's quite easy to to sort of you know make in your head make all the the pieces fall together in the way you think they should have because of some big meaning but actually you've just retrospectively made them fall that way um Mm. but for me you know after sort of a lot of thinking on this exact subject because i've questioned it myself like why am i why do i do this i think the not challenging myself in my twenties innately made me feel miserable by not having some sort of big hairy goal, like big, crazy, something that's almost unachievable, you know, cause they say, you know, it's, there's very clever people out there who've said this before that you need certainty in your life. Like you need to be certain that you can have enough food to eat. You need to mm. be certain that you're not going to get eaten by a lion when you go to sleep. And that's all good certainty, but also you need some uncertainty in your life because that kind of makes you feel mm. alive and makes you feel excited. And when I was a photographer, mm. I had no uncertainty. So, and then when I was sort of trying to make the round the world cycle a, a, a reality, um, and it's weird because it wasn't like a, it wasn't a dream that I was trying to make a reality. It was purely a physical goal. So it wasn't like, oh, I had this dream to cycle around the world. Yeah. Mostly because I just thought people who cycled around the world were astronauts or in the same league, right? It's just that, like, yeah, so, exactly. Like, I don't get depressed that I can't go to the moon, like, because it's just not <laughs> in my my reality, right? Uh, I can sure. guarantee if I won the Euro Millions, uh, I would probably then get depressed that I couldn't go to the moon <laughs> because all of a sudden it would become a potential, right? So, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. cycling around the world. It, certainly growing up was just one of those things that other people did and I wasn't Mm. one of those other people. Um, So it wasn't a dream, but as soon as I had this, this crazy goal at the end of the tunnel, I turned into terrier mode and I, when I'm in terrier mode, I love it. You know, I absolutely thrive on the challenge. I thrive on the training. I thrive on everything. I sleep better. I eat better. I spend more time outside, which I, three of the most important things you can do in, in, your, in your life if you're feeling practical. I quite agree. Um, yeah. you know, so, so it was once I'd done the round the world thing um, and then couldn't get work, I then was like, well, I just need another crazy, stupid idea because I seemed to thrive in it before, you know. And then it just turns out that for whatever reason, and maybe it's because I was just that lonely kid in that nursery and no one would talk to me <laughs> um <laughs> i've got something in my personality my father's yeah. quite a loner my parents divorced when i was 10 and he's never remarried and as far as i'm aware he's never even sort of dated and he's just right. lived in the in the bush by himself you know right. looking after yeah. rhinos and elephants so you know there's good place to be a, at the moment yeah, yeah exactly so there's obviously a a little bit of me in that uh where i kind of have this ability just to kind of, 
you know, put my head down and keep to my own thoughts and get on with it. Um, yeah. So, so I think it's been a little bit of building blocks, you know, slowly, slowly, but also the drive to do something that's difficult is is just excites me a lot. So I think what, it, and I, we do need to get back to the actual event itself of swimming that incredible distance. But what what you're telling me there what really speaks to me is like you're a normal motherfucking guy, like, and you just did this because, like, so many people, and I'm I'm basically relating this to, to myself because it's a two way conversation, <laughs> and there's no one else in this room. Um, but I have that with creativity. If I'm not being creative, then I feel like I'm suffocating. Something in, in me is, is drowning. I think there's a lot of people that will listen to this podcast and be like, um, they can relate to what you're talking about. It doesn't have to be about cycling around the world. It doesn't have to be about a great massive thing, but it has to be about something, you know, that people that are out there that are creative or or they just need to be doing something and then they will they'll, they'll have that fulfillment yeah, t- totally, you know, and it doesn't have to be sort of your livelihood either. I'm very much anti the whole, just quit your job and go and do what you love. Um, mm. I think that's dangerous philosophy just to be throwing out there to people who are not ready for it because it, it, it's, it can be a very miserable time doing just that, quitting your job and go out there. If you do a job that you innately hate and it makes you miserable and grumpy, then yes, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it's quite important having a job. <laughs> like, it just gives you something to get out of bed for each day and it gives you a purpose to go and do something. And, and you know, if you have a family and you need to provide for them, that's super important. Like, that's way more important than anything, right? Um, mm. However, life is also too short. So th- there is a balance somewhere. But as Al Humphreys says, you know, you may have a nine to five, but you've also got five to nine. And ideally, and this is wholly impractical, however, you should strive to try and have eight hours work, eight hours sleep and eight hours play in any one day. And yes, everyone, whenever I say that, I get <laughs> shot down like, well, you obviously don't have a family. I do have a family. Oh, you obviously work from home. Yes, that is true too. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of our playtime is brushing our teeth and cooking food and commuting right. and doing the shopping and the laundry, and which is I get it. I get it. However, you know, if you start off with, with the big, you know, the dream of the 888, you know, you, you will end up realizing you have a lot more time than you think you have, you know? No, I um, quite agree. So yeah. So, yeah. yeah. With this, with the, um, with the swimming. So you, you set that challenge for yourself and am, am I right in, in, in saying that you didn't really do all that much training for it? Not by, you know, not by choice. Yes, by choice, because I could have done more training. But as anyone knows, if you're trying to pull off some big sort of challenge, there's so much involved. You know, I had to find crew, a support vessel, funding, kits, you know, and and I was trying to do it all in six months. So it was sort of Mm. December, I just thought about it and I needed to leave in the summer. Because I knew I couldn't wait another year because I know my mum would, would would go mad <laughs> with me still living on the sofa. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was just doing so much that the swimming kind of was a, a last last sort of last priority. 
Uh, also, I knew how to swim. It's not like, you know, I'm not sitting here going, oh, I didn't know how to swim. I knew how to swim. You know, like, in Africa, it's one of the first things they teach you when you're sort of five years old, learning how to swim. Um, yeah. So I knew how to physically move forward in the water. My technique was pretty terrible, but I could at least make progress. You know, I was outputting one mile per hour. That's kind of my speed. Like that was all my technique mm -hmm. could allow me to do really which is pretty slow, but it's, it's still a mile an hour. Like I'm still making progress. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And actually I wish, I really wish I'd done more training, um, from a, just, if anything, just a muscle, a shoulder strength training. I wish I'd just done more shoulder strength because yeah. I got into sort of deep fatigue so early on and I, I never really recovered from it for four and a half months. I just never came out of that, that just being completely and utterly drained. My nutrition wasn't great either. You know, the support that we had, it had a, it had an old paraffin stove. And if anyone's you know, oh, yeah. ever tried to use a paraffin stove, it's almost impossible. You've got to prime it. You've got to heat the element with a blowtorch so that the paraffin turns to vapor. And then honestly, it took about half an hour to boil water. So like trying to make a decent meal that would fuel me was kind of impossible. So I was just living on these, these stowaway sort of packet food and DIY crash course, like, you know, yeah, you know, but just, there was no time limit. The only time limit on it was winter. So I knew I had, you know, probably five months. And I thought it would take two, two and a half. I mean, it landed up taking four and a half in the end. Um, but a lot of that was bad weather days. Like the, the support, you can swim in anything. Like you can swim. I was swimming in massive 20, 30 foot rollers, you know, so much so that when the support vessel was in the trough of another wave, I couldn't even see the top of the mast. And that's a oh scary my place. God. So like Tell I'm swimming, what? surfing down these waves on the north coast of Scotland, which is amazing, by the way. When you've got 20 foot rollers and you're in a wetsuit, so you're floating a bit and you sort of, with each stroke, your hand is like spraying the water because you're surfing down it. Oh, but then the next wave comes and you sort of, once you hit the trough, you like almost dive into the next wave, come up and you're swimming up the other side. But you kind of, you're not swimming up because the water's just moving like through you, but it feels like you're swimming uphill. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And then, and oh there's always a bit God. of foam on the top. So you're crashing through that foamy and then you see the boat and you're swimming down the other side. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, oh my God. What nah, I mean, the, it was, the, the, it was, it was sick. the mixture, the mixture of feelings yeah. there. I mean, yeah. emotions, not emotions, but like adrenaline, total terror. What's the cocktail in your, in your brain there? The chemicals going um, insane. I don't know, like, I knew, I, you know, this is Scotland now, so I've been swimming for four and a half months. In a wetsuit, you can just float forever, really, you know, so I knew I was not going to die. And I kind of thought, worst case scenario, so the genuine worst case scenario was the boat, the engine was not powerful enough at all to, to hold position in the tide and the wind. Uh, so it could kind of make some progress, but it would still be going backwards while I swam towards. So if, that was the thing. If, if there was ever a problem, they would just hold position and it was me. I had to swim to them, right? If yeah. their engine failed, the wind would just blow them away and it would be gone. 
so the the worry there was so it's all cliffs it was five miles to the next beach uh with the tide if i didn't make that beach the tide would change and i would be pushed back to the other beach which was sort of five miles the other way so there was a, a genuine worry that i would just land up floating between two beaches and not quite making them um but i didn't i just kind of figured like if that happened like i would be found like i would eventually be found the water doesn't get cold till march so november you know you're still okay it's not like i was going to get as far enough from shore so that i wasn't going to get pushed up into into you know the cliffs or anything and yeah because you're swimming with the tide yeah what what is this is like and you might either struggle to answer this question i don't know and you've probably been asked it a million times but what is in your head when you're like because i've got a fear of of swimming i like did some in the maldives not so long ago some snorkeling and we did maybe 20 foot and i freaked out my my wife was like saying to the uh captain of the boat look look you're gonna have to He's not going to go, he can't go in the water. Like it's too deep. It's too, and I I had the most insane reaction to it. I was terrified. I wasn't shaking, but I was fucking terrified. And I got in eventually and I confronted my fear. But in the back of my head, the whole time I'm swimming, I'm like, oh my God, I can't touch the bottom of the water. Obviously you got over that and it doesn't sound like you ever had a problem with it. (laughs) But when, like when you're on the crest of a freaking wave, of like 30 foot wave, or or say like when you're just going through the mundane like getting through the day getting through the hour and a half stint what's your thought four, process? four and a half like, hour stint <laughs> yeah four yeah sorry but in blocks right because you, you, you don't yeah, do four yeah, and a yeah, half yeah, in exactly. one go right well it's like, no i did yeah i did because that was the time did. i had oh my so yeah mad but i did like, 90 minutes and then would lay on my back and have some food and then do another 90 but what is in your, in your head? Can you remember like your daily thought patterns? Like what was your mental preparation for a day and then and then executing it? If that's even a thing that you did, I don't know. So I have two very, you know, again, it's the monkey terrier side of me. You know, the monkey side of me is, you know, dreaming of, you know, all these weird animals below me and, you know, uh, how I could maybe if I swam long enough, I'd grow gills and genuinely be able to breathe underwater. Um, which is my most recurring dream, and it, it has been my whole life. Even though when I was a kid, it's that, and it's, it, I don't, I never, I can never fly in any of my dreams, but I can breathe underwater, um, and I, I love it. It's my favorite dream, and um, and so, so there's that side of it. But then I, the terrier side is super focused, and I'm like, right, I need to get from here to there. I have this much tide. I need to drink this much water. I need this much salt intake. I need this many calories if possible. Um, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you know, I need this much sleep at night. Um, X, Y, Z. So that, you know, while I'm in it, I'm almost, I'm actually not really thinking, you know, mm. you know, when you drive, you know, like hours on the motorway, when mm. some, when you get to, when you get to the end, someone doesn't sit down and you go, so what were you thinking about when you drove all the way here? You kind of go, okay. Oh, nothing like you just not thinking of anything and i think i think well my brain maybe just goes into some sort of preservation mode where you just sort of you know you just try and not think of anything Um, i guess i because i thought that's like what might have been the case because after four and a half months of continual swimming you know it's it's it will uh, you can't just 
you're, you you get used to something. Maybe you acclimatize and you just don't really think about sharks or, okay, you know, you're not going to get attacked by a shark in, <laughs> in no. those waters. I Maybe you brush against a basking shark or something, <laughs> but like, or swimming with dolphins. I mean, yeah. you know, gods because like what what's like the, the highs and the lows like the mundane the mundane aspects of course but then a dolphin flashing past you what's what is that like like it's like a kind of like a a castaway moment right where it's yeah it's amazing like a, yeah a mother nature the dolphins they never hang hung around so they weren't i never had an amazing experience with like i'd see them almost every day but it always just be a flash below me the seals, yeah. the seals would swim with me. That was cool. Oh, like, and they would, they were super inquisitive and they'd come and swim next to me and, and stuff like yeah. that. that. That was cool. Um, but it was so cold. I think that was, that was the thing that, you know, I'm just surviving the cold. You know, I, I was 60, probably 64 kgs by the end with, with like no body fat. Yeah. I had a bit of brown fat. So you, when you do, when you spend a lot of time in cold water, you build up brown fat, which when you metabolize it is like a, quite a heat source for your body. Um, so I had a little bit of brown fat on me, but for the most part, I just had no insulation. And I, in 2013, believe it or not, like swimming wetsuits weren't nearly as good as they are now. Um, I mean, I still had top of the range wetsuits then. Um, mm. but when I put on a wetsuit now, it's just like, whoa, if I had had this wetsuit back then, I'd have been <laughs> laughing, you know, cause right. the one I wore was like three mil all round. It was so thin, but God. it was the most, it was the most flexible and it allowed me to swim the best. And because your style changes, you know, on a normal stroke, it's hard to explain, but if you put your hand up for your stroke, you're really trying to elongate your body as far as possible yeah but weirdly that last centimeter where you stretch your shoulder up that the tension in the wetsuit is is acting against my shoulder right so okay, yeah. which is fine in a triathlon where you're only swimming for like 20 minutes or an hour if you're doing an ironman or even shorter um but when you're swimming for four hours a day weirdly that just that tension on the wetsuit starts to cause so much strain on my shoulder so I landed up having this real odd technique where I couldn't stretch fully. So I'd almost just flop my, my, my arm above my head in like an arc and then, yeah. you know, push it down below me. Um, and that was the way I was sort of thinking about it is imagine climbing up a ladder. Okay. So you, you don't, you don't, you don't reach for the furthest run when you climb up a ladder, right? You kind of reach for the one just above your head and then okay, you pull yourself yeah. up. Like imagine doing that on the ground. So that's what I was doing. I was reaching for the ladder. And I, I genuinely, that was my analogy in my head. Because when I got so tired, sometimes like Em in the kayak next to me, I'd be swimming. She's like, like I'd look like I was actually swimming, but I was not going forward because my technique was so terrible that actually um, I was not pushing any water behind me. <laughs> so she was like, sure, you know, sort yourself out. I was like, oh yeah, so I have to think about the ladder again and pulling myself so on. Like when you're doing that, when you're really like struggling and freezing your tits off, I mean, I, I can't even imagine like what, what is it? Cause I'm, I'm like on a Peloton and I'm halfway through one and I'm, and it's like a 45 minute ride or, and I'm going, Oh, don't give up. Don't give up now. 
45 <laughs> minutes in my in in a bedroom <laughs> with music uh creature comforts all around me and yeah, i'm still but your heart like, your heart your, your speed was, was bigger you know they always say the speed kills not the distance so yeah you know. But I guess you know where I'm getting at. It's like yeah. it's like that that dreadfully typical question, but it's one that is so um I, I don't know, it would be on my mind if we were in a pub together. But like how how do you how do you keep those inner voices from going just I know it's maybe you're gonna say terrier, but how did you stop that becoming a thing where you just go, Fuck, I'm too cold, I'm just done now, I'm done. I couldn't fail again. Like like genuinely. Now at this point I was sort of you know, with the with the round the world cycle failure, I remember on the swim going. If I fail at this uh, the swim, I'm now never ever 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 going to achieve the three Fs because I came up with the first, furthest, and fastest, right? And that would be just the end of. And then you know, I'd live the rest of my life going, ah, oh, but you know, would I be able? Because I probably would just never have got the funding and all sports relies on sponsorship All sport, like bar none, you know, there's some sort of sponsorship, whether it comes from the lottery, whether it comes from UK sport to get it from corporates, you know, you need, you need sponsorship for sport. And I thought, well, if I, if I fail again, no one's even going to look at me like in any sport, if you lose, no one cares, you know, yeah. when you win, it's easy. When you come second, no one cares. Um, so it uh there was a little bit of that it's like if i fail this like my dream of these three f's is gone um so there was there was that fear of failure was certainly a bigger drive than rewards of success um yeah. you know not once did i think oh if i do the swim i'm gonna get a book deal or any of that rubbish i knew i was gonna write a book um well i had to i knew i had to write a book because i'd crowdfunded uh the book halfway through the swim I, so I crowdfunded uh, <laughs> so, and people were amazing the, the public was phenomenal you know I basically was on the crowdfunding I was selling a book I hadn't written about a challenge I hadn't finished um, but people were amazing like people bought 15 quid a, a book and I pre-sold loads and it was able I was able to keep the crew on for longer because it was taking me too long um, so that was was amazing so I knew I had to write the book um, and then also baby steps I you know, I was just like, well, if I get to that headland, if I get to the next headland. All the while, though, I had a picture of John O'Groats um, on my laptop, and I'd look at it. Yeah, just like, yeah, my God. Visualize, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, and, and also nothing, me quitting was just me being a soft, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's not like there was major, any bad weather, we had just sit it out any you know there was no riptides that were going to send me to australia or, or america <laughs> there was a couple of big whirlpools and i uh, some people kind of over elaborate <laughs> going near <laughs> these whirlpools but <laughs> like you have to you, down to the bottom of the earth yeah i mean like but you have to go looking for them like the Corey of Ekin, like yeah it's dangerous but it's it's very easy not to go anywhere near the Corrie <laughs> So right. I do laugh when some people go, oh, man, I went, you know, like when people go sailing and stuff, like, oh, and you only got sucked to the Corrie Beckham. I'm like, well, you're an idiot for going anywhere near it. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah. So, I mean, there was nothing physically, like, stopping me from completing that swivel other than yeah. my, own, my own sort of belief it was possible. 
Yeah, it's cool, man. Because I, I, I just think it, it, it is. I what I what I think I admire the most in people that that do these things is they put these mountains in front of them to. It's not. It's not for the fantastic um like novel that you're talking about you know that wasn't on your mind it wasn't you know it's not for the money or anything like that it's it's because if you don't do it then there's just what else is there for you to do and you you you, you you're answering that inner voice within you by doing it um yeah. the inner yeah, question we, we, we just need uncertainty and you know western world most western societies live a pretty comfortable life um, you know, not not to say that people aren't struggling. Of course, of course, people are struggling. Um, however, growing up in Africa makes you kind of realise that actually, you know, life is pretty good here. You know, in the UK, and I think, and I think that's why a lot of British people for centuries <laughs> just wanted to go exploring and 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 you know, doing doing cool different and and th- different things. And also, it's once you do one thing it's just like a drug isn't it it just makes you kind of go wow i had no clue i could do that if i can do that let me know i'm gonna go and try this <laughs> yeah you know? it's a difficult ladder to walk up though because you know where's the top of that ladder and what happens when you reach there and i i don't have those answers so I'm just yeah gonna... i it's funny because i know what you i i mean but you you did do a <laughs> You did other stuff after this as well, right? After this swim, it's like it goes on and on and on. Like, what what was the next run on that ladder for you? So remember, I had the, I had the three Fs, right? Yeah. So doing the I failed at cycling around the world as a fastest. I did a world's first um, with the swim because I had cycled Lands End John Groats before that. I wanted to complete the triathlon, um, which also became a world's first, but I don't really consider it one because it relies on the swim. So I'm the first ever person to swim cycle and run Land's End John O'Groats. But because the swim, you know, I'd really used use my my F, one of the Fs on the swim, I don't count that. Um, <laughs> however, I have to say, there's very few people who've cycled and walked or run Land's End John O'Groats. I was, I was really surprised. I mean, I, I think yeah. I've only found about three or four on the internet and please if, if if you've done it let me know and i want to meet you because it's pretty cool um but it's just it's because the, the the war if you had to walk it or run it, it it's so time consuming that's why i guess people don't do it um as sure. as much um so yeah so i did that and then i wanted to do a world's furthest and i loved swimming cycling and running it as a just as changing disciplines i like the challenge of a new discipline so that's when i discovered of the the world's longest triathlon record which was held um, by a woman in mexico i believe of i think it was three thousand five hundred mile triathlon and you divide the total distance into the same proportions as a normal triathlon so short swim medium run long long cycle um so i did that around britain 2016 now gosh feels like a age ago um Yeah. Yeah. So that was four thousand two hundred miles in the end. So I got that record. Um, nice. And here's here's a cool story actually. So fast forward to two thousand eighteen, I was going for the across Europe cycling world record. Um, oh, actually, backtrack in that. So when I got the world's longest triathlon record, I also inadvertently got the world's longest self-supported swim record, which was one hundred and twenty miles, two hundred k. 
no one's done a fully like genuinely self-supported swim of that leg before. So I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Anyway, fast forward to 2018. I was going for the across Europe cycling world record. And I was trying to beat a German guy called Jonas Deichmann, Jonas Deichmann. Um, And anyway, I broke his record and it was awesome. He currently, as we speak, is trying to break my uh, (laughs) world's longest triathlon record. And two days ago, he surpassed my swim record um, and has taken that record too, which is awesome. So I've been sort of helping. (laughs) He was helping me break his record and now I'm helping him break my record. It's quite cool, actually. Uh, Yeah, it's weird how just it's all worked out in the end. Yeah. God, that's mental. So that was like from Portugal to Russia, you, you cycled, right? In like yeah. what, 20, 28 days or 24, 24 days. 24 like days, I think it was in the end. Yeah. yeah. So, God. Which, if you look at it, it's pretty slow. Like to do 4,000 miles in 24 days isn't, isn't groundbreaking at all. Well, it sounds pretty uh, groundbreaking to me, my friend. Trying to do it in Russia <laughs> with a 15 mile an hour headwind for 1,000 miles, I have to say. That was. That that was tough, like man, and it's re- it's training different muscle groups, isn't it? As well, because it's like I I didn't really know about that kind of thing until say I I watched like um oh that uh, Michael Jordan documentary um, oh yeah the last dance yeah the last dance right and I was like well when he retra- when he trains to be a, ba- a basketball um sorry baseball player baseball, yeah. and then and then changed over to back rather to basketball I was like what you have to you can't you just pick up the fucking ball michael and just get on with it mate like come on like so what was that like just re- I, I presume once again did, did you do much cycle i mean i know you you would have had plenty of experience doing triathlons previously but like what was it like going right i am this is this is the this is another freaking insane distance i'm just gonna see what happens see if my body says no more it's so weird so i to average for the for the across Europe cycling record, I had to average 170 something miles a day, um, which isn't actually that difficult. Like genuinely, oh, if conditions, really? if yeah, like honestly, <laughs> if conditions are okay and your road surface is okay and you and your food is fairly regular, um, like that's kind of easy. Like it's not easy, like because if it, all you need is is a couple of punctures or a headwind or bad road surface or like you run out of water once in the day and you, you're not going to hit that mileage. Um, but it is, it's not bonkers, you know. So once you start getting to the sort of the 200 a day mark, that's when it gets serious. Um, so 170 was, I could have a few bad days and still break break that record. However, it's amazing. So my longest training ride for this the 2018 record was 130 miles. It's my longest I think I did three rides above 100 miles in the six months leading up to it. And most of it was just short rides around the Lake District. Um, Because it's weird, your body just gets used to doing that sort of stuff. And also, in these ultra-endurance events, especially in cycling, your your power output is really isn't the be-all and end-all, which is why girls are winning these ultra races at the moment it's amazing like you look at sarah hammond she's won race to the rocks yeah. since it began yeah um leo wilcox won the across america self-supported bike race the trans am 
um, Juliana bearing always podiums in, in these big ultra races because you don't need to push big power. So, you know, because men have more powerful muscles, we can have a bigger power output. It's kind mm. of pointless. You don't need it. What you need is, is a clever brain. You need to know when to eat. You need to know the right food to buy in a supermarket super quickly. You need to live on no sleep. You need to be good at your navigation because you're trying to steal minutes here and there. Yeah, you need to yeah. be really quick at getting into your sleeping bag and falling asleep quickly and, and falling asleep quickly. Because, you know, half the time you're so buzzed up on often caffeine as well. You've had a bit, few too many coffees at six o'clock in the evening to keep you going on, Gee, you know, and you never sleep. And, and that's why girls are just naturally better at multitasking. Um, and which, which is why they're doing them really amazing in the ultra cycling world, which is, which is great. I, I love it. I so I just, that is correct. That is, that is so awesome. Like, um, filling me in on that stuff, you know, cause I did, I, I did know a little bit about that, uh, male versus female in terms of like, um, yeah, cy cycling, you know, these mega, mega races, but like it is, it's fascinating to me at least about that output thing and 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 braun isn't always like gonna win and what have you um no, no, not at all. I, I mean I, I think the guy who won the transcont a couple of years ago he averaged uh 110 watts i think for the whole ride you know and he was pushing big miles you know like yeah. big big miles like 200 plus miles a day because it's quite a short race only two two thousand miles i think um so yeah 110 watts like you know on your peloton if you know right. if you go down to 110 watts you'd be like this is easy <laughs> right. yeah, yeah it, it, it's not easy at, at at hour 45 with no sleep but you well, know it, so that's, it, yeah, yeah that's the other thing isn't it? it's like sleep deprivation I, I i struggle so much uh doing any fuck the peloton fucking anything like driving to work um just functioning speaking if if i haven't <laughs> had like six at least basic six hours sleep. I just can't, I can't do it. Does your brain adapt? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you, does your brain just go right? It's, it's like when you talked about brown fat earlier, which sounds yeah. to me like you're just smearing uh, HP sauce all over yourself, mate, to be honest. <laughs> but um, does, does, Only on does, Tuesdays. Yeah. <laughs> does your, does it like, you know, does your, do your brain start producing like a, a chemical that says okay don't worry about the two hours sleep for the sixth day in a row it's going to be fine here you go or are you just fucked so it's it's really interesting with sleep it's one is if you sleep less your body learns how to get the important bit of sleep sooner so if you so if you're only having three or four hours a night eventually your body will go right i need to make the most of those three or four hours so that's one. Two is if you're really on top of your diet, um, you can still feel sleepy, but fine. Like physically, you can still feel kind of fine. And, you know, you may not have to make really good decisions, but, you know, so like being super sleep deprived and cycling on public roads, I find always a bit sketchy. Um, but physically, you can still kind of push good power, actually. The thing. Um, and... But yeah, the other thing that really helped me was just learning, reading up on sleep and what you and you know, once you read up on it, you're like, actually, my brain's just tricking me into going to sleep because I actually, there's no need for me to sleep right now, to a point. You know, I've done 
you know, 40, 45 hours with no sleep and felt okay. Like I've not pushed it much further than that. And I think I've, I've ate a lot. I've drunk a lot of water. Um, I've had a bit of caffeine, you know, a bit of coffee in the evenings. Uh, that's kind of made me feel a bit better. Um, after that, you, you know, you will start probably doing silly things. And I think I probably wouldn't do that on a, on a, on a sort of open public road race again, I think now with a son and a family and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Like, and all, uh, also, also yeah, the, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And it's like long-term damage to your brain. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, and what have you that, um, yeah, God, it's it's absolutely amazing. So, like, what? Because I know you've 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 written like plenty of t- plenty of books. It's like there was like the one the kind of like a how to book on, um, uh, was it, it was a how to book on like endurance or triathlon? Or oh, this oh the cycling around the world. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was world cycling stripped bare. Gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Right, book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I. Had- a copy of it anymore um yeah it was a sort of a book about if you wanted to pull off a big long epic bike ride yeah how to do it like if you wanted to cycle around the world how do you get to the start line yeah yeah well it was hard to get to the start line you know like visas okay. and training and oh, wow. just what bikes to buy and stuff like that um it's a bit outdated now so i wouldn't recommend it but like so <laughs> tom allen does a better does a better job of that book of, of his version of that book now so what you're uh, like what you're it's just the technology like i wrote it in 2012 oh okay <laughs> well, well it's just no point in buying it then mate just like you know pulpit pulp. well genuinely there isn't <laughs> i i would say no i would say that, and don't buy it because like you know technology's moved on uh t- different countries have different requirements now from back then yeah. um you know some countries are much safer to cycle through for a, a girl than they were back then so yeah. some are worse <coughs> excuse me yeah like so it is a bit out day i need to re i need to re re-edit it <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure um, <coughs> excuse me that's all right mate you have you have some water or some wine or something but i i it's um before we before we end the conversation it'd be cool to just have a really brief chat about the books that you have written i mean i know we've, we've spoken about one already um and and maybe a little bit look towards like uh when life returns slightly more to normal like so if we, <laughs> we start with the books like um what would be the one you'd like to push the most do you think upon people they're all very different you know if you're not into swimming you know don't buy this the, the swim book <laughs> although having said that it, it's really got nothing to do with swimming it's just how i swam britain and what it was all about day-to-day life with you know my three crew members and that sort of thing um i've got three cycling books so it's lands into john Groat cycling book my round the world cycling book and the the across europe cycling book which also has a big chunk on the world of ultra cycling at the moment and the history of it and where it started back in the day with thomas stevens who went around the world in a penny farthing um <laughs> 200 years ago so you know if you're into cycling those three are, are pretty good then i have the running britain book when i ran the length of britain and uh i actually quite like that book because it wasn't a world record it you know it it was just my musings you know, meandering down Britain on foot. And um, yeah, I, I'm really proud of proud of that one, actually. Yeah. Because it's just sort of, it allowed me to just, just be a bit more creative. 
Didn't you just with the, with the writing when it wasn't a world record? Didn't you run to Cheltenham and to London and and just like have just like the most stupidly small budget and and it was like <laughs> fucking what six pounds a day or something? Eight pound and I think it was eight pound forty eight a day. I decided to so I was with mum in Cheltenham and we had just had Christmas and my friend in London was having a New Year's Eve party. So I had Boxing Day and I thought, well, can I walk from Cheltenham to London for cheaper than the train would be? And the train was £48.50. Um, so I thought, well, if I do a marathon today, <clears throat> I'd like eight quid and some change uh, per day, which I was really worried. I was like, eight quid a day? God, who, can you survive at eight quid a day? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. So anyway, I packed all my wild camping stuff and and then actually it turns out it's quite easy. Like you can buy a bag of pasta for like 70p, a thing of pesto for a quid, some chorizo for like a couple of quid. Um, and I had a, and a jet boil. So I was laughing, which meant actually at the end of each day, I had usually about three pounds spare. Yeah. So I would end every day and I'd walk into a pub with my change from the day and I would just be like, can I have this much ale, please? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in Cheltenham, it was, they pretty much gave me a pint. Right, you know? yeah. Like, oh, you've got I mean, three yeah. quid, you know, here's a pint. But then the closer I got to London, it soon became half Right, when a, when a pint starts coming seven <laughs> but, quid, uh, yeah. I have to say, most, most people, yeah, yeah, most people would just, give me a pint anyway. Well, yeah, especially if you go, um, (laughs) yeah, if you go like, I'm just running, running to London, mate, do you fancy, I've only got three quid, but you know, would you mind, I can't imagine anyone going, (laughs) there's the door, son, no fucking chance, you pay for all your pint in this pub, you can fuck off, don't don't care how much you run, mate. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) you sound mental, get out of my pub. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that, it's so cool, because I I did a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of wild, wild, camping or whatever the hell recently and um and and it was oh sorry am i you've you've drifted i've drifted oh the internet is bad the internet is bad you dropped out again no dead Da, 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 da. This happens a lot these days. British. It's all good in my. British Telecom is crap. Yeah. Oh, okay. You can hear me now. There we go. Yeah. 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 Back again. Okay. But yeah, it's probably a good place to stop it anyway because I'm just rambling crap. Um, oh, it's good. Good rambles, man. But no, I did. I did do a little tiny little bit of. I like it. Went off for a couple of days and and, and camped in the South Downs and me being an anxious. Um, I don't know softy I, I was oh my god i'm gonna camp well, you know fucking what, what am i gonna get attacked deliverance style and it was just <laughs> I, you know I, it was brilliant i just like camped watched a bit of like kirby enthusiasm on my phone woke up the next morning had a tiny little campfire it was just freaking amazing and i was like why am i what yeah you know why the I know, you, I know you can't do it in the UK. It's totally not allowed. But I'm mean, sorry, in, in England rather, p- pathetic. But and Wales, yeah, yeah. But but yeah. Anyway, man, look. Thank you so much for your time there. It, I swear, if we were down a pub, man, I would. 
Oh my god! I, uh, rem- remember those days. Remember them yeah. down in pubs with your mates. I know. God. <laughs> Do you know what though? I'm not actually. I went for a, a pint last night. I was passing my pub and I was going to Sainsbury's to get some dog food, and I passed my local and I went in for a pint, and like. I thought, do you know what? If it's another month, I don't give a shit. Like, I've had so much time in pubs, like, wasting money in pubs. I, 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 who am I kidding? I'm still going to waste my money down the local bottle shop. Do you know what I mean? Like, on craft ale or what have you. <laughs> but what, what, what did you miss most in lockdown? Ah, that's a good one. Um, well, I, I miss just the freedom to just go off and, and travel mm. guilt-free, mm. you know. And I think, you know, my son, who is 16 months, has spent pretty much his whole, you know, life in lockdown. Yeah. And that's, I miss being able to go out and do stuff with him, you know. His version of the world now is 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 worrying it worries me, you know, he's only ever known other people with masks on. And, you know, he, even now it's weird. He just kind of doesn't know what other people like, you know, we walk down the street in our village and if we walk past someone else, he's just like stares at them and he's like, Oh my God, another human being. Um, so yeah, I, I miss sort of just being able to go out with him and, and, and do stuff. I think that's good. I think we should all have a physical goal yes, in in our world, exactly. in, in our exactly. daily existence. That's the world we live in, sure. I think goal. there should be something in, in the back of our brain you. that's pushing us towards a physical goal, whether yeah. it's running a marathon, yeah. you know, trying to row an ocean. Thank like, you well, so I'll much for your time, I think For me, I'm just a... Look I have yourself, a more fulfilled dude. life when I'm chasing <laughs> a physical See, challenge. Bye-bye. Um, and it's just, for me, it's landed up being my sort of career in adverted commas. Um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, I think it's even better if it's your hobby. Um, you know, so yeah, that would be my tip for anyone is just to just find a physical challenge and go for it. And it could just be like building something like at the moment, I'm trying to dig 40 tons of earth out the side of the bank in our garden so I can make a little bit of a bigger play area (laughs) and and put a fire pit in for, for our son. Um, and that's just a physical goal. I'm hauling 40 tons of earth and moving it to somewhere else in the garden where I'm going to level off because we live on the side of a hill. <laughs> but it's kind of cool, you know, like, so whatever, just like, just choose a physical goal, sign up for something, pay the money, tell your mates, put it on your Instagram profile because once that happens, you have to do it, right? <laughs> and yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Sean. Anytime, mate. Thanks, Adam. Let me catch you later. Look after yourself, dude. Yeah, mate. <laughs> That's all. Bye. Bye. Bye.